Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on one of the smartest hockey minds that I know and that is Brian Kane from Prodigy Hockey. And Brian grew up in Rochester, New York. This is his second time on the podcast. And the first time he was on, we had an awesome, awesome conversation. It was actually our most downloaded episode for a very, very long time. But Kane is one of the smartest guys I know, runs Prodigy Hockey, founded that. And he is also working as a consultant with the Chicago Blackhawks right now. So very, very fun to have him on the episode here. But before we do get over to Kaner, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Jehu Lavecchio. Vex, what is shaking today? Feeling pretty bad, Tove, because I can't lie to the listeners. Listeners, I've let you down. I did not put this episode into my calendar. And I missed the podcast. I was out for a lovely Italian dinner date with my girlfriend who just moved in with me. And then I texted Tof and was like, oh, when are we doing a podcast? He's like 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, my God, I am so sorry. So I'm sorry to Kaner. Sorry to Tov. I'm sorry to listeners. You will not hear my lovely voice on this one because I am a donkey and I did not put it in my calendar. I apologize. A lot less talent. A lot less talent on this one. <laughs> Way less talent. No attention to detail, Jehu. That's <laughs> what we talk about, man. It's all important. Uh, it is. I feel terrible. I feel <laughs> terrible. But I had a great date. So, you know, life won in that one. But There you go. I'm actually yeah. going on a date night tomorrow. A much Woo! needed one. When you got three kids, four and under, one of them being a month old, that is just nocturnal right now. Love sleeping during the day. Not so much at night. So we're going to oh. have to fix that one a little bit. But... It is what it is, man. But this was an awesome conversation with Kaner. Like he's, he's great. And for those of you that don't know, and we get into it a little bit on the podcast, but not sure. So when I left coaching at Cornell, uh, not really sure where to go in the hockey world. Uh, Kaner was the first guy that I hooked up with. And so he runs prodigy hockey, prodigy-hockey.com. And I started writing for him, uh, for his website. I said, Hey, I got some things to say. Would you mind if I put it on your platform? And, and he said, yeah, no problem. And so, uh, developed a friendship and, and have, you know, really kind of grown that. And and he's awesome, dude. Like he like will forget more things about this game than most people will ever learn. And that's because he's so curious. He's always looking at things from a different angle. Um, he's just very forward thinking and on, on how to develop players, not just from a hockey standpoint, but from a teaching standpoint, um, from a learning standpoint. So like, those are things that we obviously talk about a lot too. And uh, you know, the, the story that I love to tell obviously is like, there is no hockey think tank without Brian Kane and Brandon Arado. And one night in, uh, in December, the three of us got together. I drove in from New York. Kaner came in from uh, Chicago and we met in Detroit where NAR is. And uh, we just kind of, we used to talk on the phone, just some professional development stuff and got together. And, and the idea of the hockey think tank um, was born. And so I kind of took it and ran with it. NAR started working with the Red Wings, Gainer with, with his pro guys and, and now the Hawks. So they're on to bigger and better things. But uh, without those two, there would not be a Hockey Think Tank podcast. And, and uh, very cool to get Gainer back on here. If you haven't listened to the first one that we had with him, it was unbelievable. We dissected a uh, 
a YouTube conversation between Malcolm Gladwell and David Epstein, two of the biggest, uh, the biggest minds when it comes to like developmental, I don't know if it's developmental psychology is the right word, but organizational behavior, developmental psychology, whatever you want to call it, it's probably somewhere in between and, uh, just really, really awesome guy. And this was a fun conversation that, uh, just him and I had. Yeah, dude, I, I actually like that first one we had with him, you know, I hadn't heard of him before. Um, and like, oh my God, like immediately loved, loved him, like followed him on Twitter immediately, followed him on Instagram immediately. I loved when he used to put out those things on Instagram where it was like during the NHL season, he's like, all right, here's a clip. And you have to guess if it's going to be this, this, or this, the player yeah. does after. And I always got him right. And I was so <laughs> happy because he's so, his hockey mind is so intelligent. And I was like, yes. And I didn't get any wrong, but, um, Keener, if you're listening to this episode, please start doing those again, because those were super fun and, uh, just an engaging way for people to learn from, you know, from him and what he sees in the game and what NHL players are doing to create time and space for themselves. So I thought that was a really cool series. Yeah. Those were pretty cool. Yeah. On, on the gram as you hadn't seen it. anybody do anything like that i thought i was you know really innovative yeah for sure um yeah he's awesome man like such a good hockey mind such a good dude too so very very cool to have that conversation with him uh, i do want to get over there but first i have a story that i want to tell and i've told this story before on the podcast but it's uh it's it's definitely top of mind right now so one of my former teammates and you know him pretty well too mike brown uh, i played with him growing up a little bit uh, he had an awesome dad. Uh, both of his parents are great. Um, just, just, just wonderful people. And his dad, Barry passed away, uh, earlier this week and we had the memorial service for him today. And so Mikey was a teammate of mine on the team that I've talked about a lot on this podcast, my CYA team back in Bantams that won the national championship. We had our fun slash crazy Russian coach where we did a lot of crazy stuff with him. Um, and the story that I like to tell about Mikey is, um, so again, crazy Russian coach does things a little bit differently. He would not get away with this today, but he picked our entire team at trials, except for one spot on the final day. And on that final day, he had two people on the ice duking it out for that final spot, doing uh, little puck protection drills and keep away stuff and, and battle drills and, and things like that. And so it, it must've been so crazy. We were sitting up in the stands watching, uh, as those two guys were, were battling for that last spot. Um, can you imagine if that today, like <laughs> he probably gets sued <laughs> Parents would, that like that would not be allowed. Today. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, like, so character building. Woof. So Mikey ended up, you know, getting the better of the other player in that one-on-one -on -one session, let's call it. And, and ended up making our team. So he was the last person to make our team at 14 years old. And lo and behold, he was the person on our team that made it the farthest in hockey. Um, played in the NHL for a lot of years. He was a third, fourth line guy that did anything for the team. Just a fantastic teammate, fought, uh, just salt of the earth kind of guy. Um, and it's just, it's just such a, and I talked about it with my team today. I told him the exact story and, you know, was the last guy picked for our team at 14 years old. And he was the one that made it the farthest. And for all the parents and kids that are listening, if you're not the best at 14, that's okay. Um, I, I don't want to say it's a detriment to be the best at 14, 15, 
because it's not, but I've seen a lot of 14, 15 year olds get a lot of accolades and then it gets to their head and they forgot about why they're so good. It's because they work hard and they try to carry the rest of their mail with, with their talent alone. And you just can't make it to high level hockey without a work ethic and a passion and desire for the game. And that's exactly what Mikey had. And so it was really sad today because he got up and said a few words about his dad and talked about how his dad always taught him about mental toughness and physical toughness and how those were the hallmarks of his you know, career and, and he had a great career playing in the NHL. And so I think, and that's just another example of how handling something and going through adversity at young ages, how that can shape you and how that can be a positive for you. And um, we had that zoom call where we got together, that team won a national championship. We had a zoom call where every single player on the team showed up. Uh, it was over the winter and our coaches, and it was just really, really good. And I remember Mikey talking about that tryout in the call. And he said, I would not have made the NHL if I was not put in that situation and had to win that. Like, cause he knew then he was the last guy picked and he knew how hard he needed to work to catch up to everybody else. And it helps that he's an absolute physical beast and a specimen. Um, but like, it just, it just goes to show you, I mean, and, and hearing him talk about the mental toughness and physical toughness that he learned from his dad and hearing about like, and knowing his story. I mean, it just, it's a great reminder to all the kids out there that, you know what, wherever you're at, if you're the person that's the hardest working person, you're putting yourself in a position to pass people. You really, really are. Cause there's a lot of complacent people out there. There's a lot of people who want to get by on talent alone and think they can get by on talent alone. And those people get passed really, really quickly. Once you get to the serious levels of hockey and Brownie, again, he was the last person picked ended up making the NTDP full scholarship to Michigan and played in the NHL for however many years because of his work ethic. So for all the kids out there, just a great story about perseverance and work ethic and controlling the things that you can control to get to where you want to go. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable to watch that guy. Like from, you know, I remember him on that team. You know, I didn't know that story until we started doing this podcast. Um, but I always respected it because he was a absolute monster. Like that guy was the most jacked human being I've yeah. ever seen when we were younger. It was literally insane. I'll never forget it. Like select like 16, he was benching like 225. And I was like, no, what? he was benching like 300 pounds <laughs> because he was benching 300 pounds like the year before that. Insane, dude. Just insane. But what a great guy. What a great teammate. One of the fastest guys I've ever been on the ice yeah. with too. Like just powerful. But I love something you said in there too. It was like, there's so many people who get complacent. And like, it's, that's just like, that's your downfall. Anybody listen to this, any players, any coaches, anybody aspiring to get to whatever their next level is for you, whatever your goals are, like, do not get complacent. No matter how good you are, like, don't get complacent. And like Tove said, if you're the hardest worker in the room, if you're giving like everything you can, and that means, that doesn't mean you don't ever sleep or you don't ever do recovery days, but whatever you're supposed to be doing, it's going to make you better. If you actually give a hundred to those, each of those things, like you're literally going to be a way better version of yourself, no matter if you're a terrible player or you're a great player by doing that, you're going to be a, the best version of you, which should be everybody's goal to see how far you can get. Love it, man. Absolutely. Be the best version of you. And same thing goes for teams too. 
you know, our, I think I told you our team went three and over the weekend. Our first, not weekend. a big deal. Congrats coach. Yeah. My U 16 team went three and oh, to start <laughs> still the year. sick, man. Still a good feeling. <laughs> no, but uh, like, that was what I talked about with them this week at the beginning it was like, Hey, you know what? A lot of people like to say character is revealed in times of adversity. You know, I'd, I'd argue that it's revealed even more in times of success because are you going to rest on your laurels? Or are you going to understand that what it took you to get here to the success is the work and the preparation and things like that. And so it's been great, man. We've had a couple of really good practices this week, have another one. And then we're going to be down in St. Louis in a couple of weekends to, uh, to, to see you, our lovely co-host right here. That'll be fun. Yeah, man. I'm super excited. Cannot wait. Actually, that's going to be uh it's going to be badass. And, I know you said you wanted me to come speak to the team or have them to the gym or something. So I'm excited uh, to do some of that. Cause I already met one of your players who came and trained while he was in St. Louis a few weeks ago. So yeah, yep. good, good, good man. Hopefully the rest are good men and have a good time. <laughs> For sure, man. All right. Well uh, let's get over to Kaner. Let's uh, thank our sponsors here first. Thank you to gel sticks, G E L S T X.com. Go there and use the coupon code think tank to get a discount on some awesome weighted training sticks. Thank you to train heroic drafts training app that he trains thousands of people on online on the line exchange gram on the line. And so uh, go download train heroic and look for ripped hockey, R I P T hockey and get all of Jeff's workouts. Thank you to ice hockey systems.com. These guys are awesome. They have put together an association platform where you can draw drills up. Uh, you can store them. You can send them out to all of your, it's basically a huge database that you can build for your entire association. Uh, I've been using it to plan my practices and it's made life so much easier. I can send it out to my coaches. I can send it out to my players beforehand so they know what's up. And so go to ice hockey systems.com and look for the associations tab and I, again, I highly, highly recommend it for your organizations. It's such a low, low cost, high quality value, and uh, just makes life a lot easier. You also get our parent survival guide from the hockey think tank on there for free. If you do that for all of your parents, which as hockey directors, I can guarantee you will make your life a lot easier uh, with the parents having that education from what we've put together on that. And finally, last but not least, uh, most importantly, we want to thank you, all of our listeners. We appreciate all of your support for the podcast. We continue to grind this thing out because of you. Uh, our goal with this thing is to make the hockey world better. And, uh, you know, if you have some some thoughts and feedback, whether it's rating reviews on, on wherever you get your podcast, Apple, um, Apple podcasts on your phone, iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever, those would be amazing. Uh, also, if you want to email us or DM us on, on social media, tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Tell us, you know, if you have certain guests, some of our guests, honestly, are, are people that reach out to us and say, Hey, I know this person. I think they would be a great value to the podcast. So if you have people like that, certainly let us know. And uh, we do this for you guys. We love doing this. Um, but again, at the end of the day, we want to make the hockey world a, a more positive place. And uh, so we appreciate so much of your support that you've given us. It fuels us to, to make this podcast better every week that we do it. So uh, you guys are going to absolutely love this one with Prodigy Hockey's Brian Kane. So without further ado, here we go with Brian Kane. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's back for round two. I can't believe this is only round two that we've had you back. Uh, but Brian Kane of Prodigy Hockey. Kaner, how are you doing today? 
Feeling great. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So you were one of the earlier guests that we had and you held the mantle of most downloaded for like probably a good year and a half um, until we got some other guests on and you're still in like our top five. But uh, that was just a really fun episode. I think the way that you think about the game and think about it a little bit differently. Uh, I know when we have conversations, I'm always learning something from you. So excited to pick your brain about some hockey stuff here and, and have our listeners get a little bit better today. What do you say? No, I'm thanks for having me on and goes both ways. Um, I feel like we always have fun conversations and I'm always taking something away from it as well. So thank you. It is cool, man. Like, so I don't think a lot of our listeners really know this, but without Brian Kane, there literally is no hockey think tank. Like there is no hockey think tank and Kaner, you were the first person that I reached out to when, uh, when I was done uh, coaching at Cornell, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and really liked the stuff that you were doing with prodigy. So kind of reached out to you and started writing for some stuff for your website. And then it's crazy. Like I still remember that night that me, you and, and Nerado met in Detroit. And we were like, right. Hey, like we have these great conversations. Like, what can we do with it? We think other people should be kind of like brought into the room. And now here we are on a podcast with thousands of listeners and we've let a lot of people into the room. So <laughs> I guess that night was pretty fruitful. <laughs> well, kudos to you for driving it. And yeah, it's, I love talking hockey and I like how you've shared a lot of the things you've learned and you're trying to help coaches, parents, players, and, if I can be a small part of that, I'm, I'm all in. So I appreciate what you're doing. You bet, man. Well, I am, I'm excited to start picking your brain and, and, uh, you know, you're a, a very, very busy man during the summer. You know, you got a lot of people calling you that, that want to work with you in the off season from everyone from, you know, people in the NHL all the way down to the youth levels. And, you know, I wanted to kind of start there because you get the chance to work with a lot of really good players in the summer. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think from just like a preparation work ethic kind of focus mindset standpoint, what do you think separates some of the best players that you've worked with? Like just what do they do differently? What do they kind of do better or more of than everybody else in your opinion? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And I think the players that are very successful at the higher levels, you know, NHL, AHL, college, pro uh, in general, they're curious. They um, understand the commitment level it takes to to continue to improve and to um, eat right, get to the gym and kind of just make it a part of their day to day. And um, understand that it's a long-term commitment. It's not just, you know, I can turn it on for a week and be ready to go for um, camp in September. They, they understand the process and they're committed to the process. And, um, but yeah, the, the thing that always inspires me personally is with some of these, you know, really high-end players are their, it's their curiosity and how they're always trying to learn and they don't feel like they're finished products. They're always trying to improve and evolve their game um, and that's, you know, as a coach, that's something I'm always trying to do as well. I'm always trying to learn. And I think the same goes for you, Tope, obviously. Um, and that's, that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed, the difference between some of the players that are NHLers or AHLers or, you know, college to pro is that commitment to your being a pro. And then also that um, hunger to keep improving and never really satisfied with, your, with where you're at and, and knowing what your game is and what you need to evolve and, and having good people around you to support you along the way. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. Like I, I hear that saying, be a pro all the time. 
you know, like, I, and I feel like I hear it even at the youth levels quite a bit. You gotta, you gotta try to be like a pro, be a pro it, to get to the, you gotta be a pro. And, and obviously we kind of have an understanding of what that means. And I think you articulated it pretty well, just in your, in your previous statement there, but like, what, what exactly do you mean by be a pro? Like these guys who quote unquote are pros, what is it about them that makes them that way? Yeah. And it, you know, I, I actually don't like it when it's used in like the youth context because <laughs> I just, kids should be kids. Yeah. And, and pros are adults who have made that decision to make that their life. And, um, but to answer your question, um, you know, it's sleeping right. It's understanding your nutrition. Um, it's understanding what your weekends are going to look like and being committed to doing the right things. And all, there's always time to celebrate and, and take time off. And, and that's very important too. Um, but understanding what it takes to be committed to your craft and, and keep your body and your mind in a place that's going to allow you to keep evolving and keep improving. Um, that's, that's in, in, in season, I think is even different. I'm thinking just off season. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the things that come to mind for me. Um, and I think it can apply to any job, you know, like what are you doing every day to try to improve and be present to, um, get the most out of your um, strength condition, get the most out of your on ice session. And then away from the rink, what are you doing to make sure that you are recovering and that you are, um, you know, replenishing your body so you can go do it again and, and have the capacity to do it more and keep building on your conditioning, keep building on your strength and your skill set. I love that. And one of the things that I love what you said too is, is uh, a craft. And I heard somebody say like an athlete or really, really high level athletes work on their crafts, kind of like how musicians do or right. how artists do. And, and it, it just put it into such good perspective because that's what it is. It's a craft that you're always trying to tinker with. You're always trying to change. You're always trying to kind of be the best version of you while also understanding that there are certain things you need to be better at. And that's like the best, I feel like analogy that I've heard about wanting to become better is like it is it's it's a craft that you can work on every day and and it is like the the guys and girls who treat it that way and and I love what you said too about being curious and we've talked a lot about that I think the best not only the best athletes but the best business people and the best artists they're they're just so curious they're always looking to do things differently and so let me ask you this because like you work with some of the best of the best in the world and I've always felt that the best really know who they are, but they're also curious. And right. that's, that's a, that's a difficult balance. I feel like sometimes to, to find as a coach and, and as a player too. And so how do you go about working with players? Um, because I feel like everybody kind of asks the questions in the way of like, should you focus on your strengths and weaknesses? I, right. I, I like to, think of it more as like, okay, who makes you, you, like what makes you the best version of you, but then what are also things that you can add to your game? So how do you work with your players in, in like balancing the two of those? That's a great question. Yeah. It's well, I think it's the, the more you can, especially as you become a professional or in college and up, I would say that, and even maybe even younger, you really need to start to understand what you do really well and what's going to allow you to continue to move up levels and be successful. Um, and I think the guys at the NHL level who really understand what they do well, what they don't do well, and can, can start to 
shape that identity, um, put themselves in a position to be really successful. Now, as far as like training goes, you know, what we'll do is an intensive analysis of their game to figure out from our perspective and also collaborate with them on, you know, like what, what gives them success within the system and team they're playing, what doesn't, and then, you know, what do we want to spend the most time on to get the most out of the training? And most of that's still going to live probably in what they do really well because of the situations they're in and the lot, the, the amount of um, interactions they have with a certain moment are probably going to be places where they are successful already a little bit. So, but we still want to keep improving that and being more dynamic and successful in those moments while still chipping away at some of the things that maybe are weaknesses, so to speak. Um, and that's kind of the process we'll go through. That's awesome. Another, another word that you just said there is, is dynamic. And I feel like that's another one of those hockey buzzwords that people like to say yeah. all the time, but like, don't really know what it means. They just see like a person that's really good. They'd be like, Oh, they, that kid's dynamic. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So like, right. how would you define the word dynamic and how do you think that's really important to player development in the job that you do and making your players better? Yeah. I, so I see it as a player who's dynamic has a solution uh, to many solutions to similar type problems. So they can be presented with a number of different problems and figure out ways to solve it with their technical ability and then expressing that technique skillfully in the moment. So when I see like Kaner, for instance, or McDavid or Goudreau, you name it, they have unique technical expressions, but and skillfully apply it in moments all over the ice. And they can solve a lot of different situations with their abilities. So when I see, or like in just a different sport analogy, like Barry Sanders back in the day, Detroit Lions, like so good. There, there was no movement problem that he couldn't solve, it seemed. And that's when I think of dynamic that I think of those types of players and being able to solve any, any problem that they face in the game, whether it be off the puck or, or with the puck. That's, that's awesome. It like, and, and I want to dive deeper into that because, you know, you and I have talked a lot about problem solving in, in like the frame of, of hockey. Right. right. And, and so what, like, what do you mean for like the listeners that like, what do you mean by problem solving and, and yeah. how important that is to becoming a smarter, better, more well-rounded hockey player dynamic, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could, we could frame it in any sort of situation, but let's just think about it offensively on a two-on-one and you have back pressure, you know, tracking you with a lot of pace in that moment, making emergent decisions based on what's available and acting on that information and being successful with it, um, you know, at a high rate. So, you know, in one moment, the back checker may kind of lean towards the other option, which, or, or the, excuse me, the defender that is in front of you may lean towards your pass option that you're threatening. Now you shoot. Maybe in another instance in that same scenario, you start to threaten shot. The D starts to slide with you. Now you have your option on the weak side. So no matter what that situation that is similar, has similar feel, but still different, you know, version A, B, C, D are going to present themselves. You have a solution 
and can make quick emergent decisions based on what's available. You're not already, pre, you know, before you got there, I'm definitely going to shoot. The, you're, you're in it and you're reading and adjusting. And by dictating with the puck and threatening, you're seeing how things kind of unravel and what, what's going to be the best next decision for you to take. Okay, unreal. So how do you like develop that in, in players, that problem solving ability? Because like, you know, we've all been to the rinks at youth practices and we see a lot of straight line stuff. We see a lot of just like system stuff. We see a lot of people, you have to do this in this situation, you have to do that in that situation. And I think that would be not necessarily the way that we would go about teaching that problem solving, which we think is really, really important. So, you know, if you're a youth coach, let's say you're a peewee coach or maybe a Bantam coach or something like that, how would you go about planning a practice? So kids are being put in situations where they're going to have to problem solve all the time, which will make them better. Yeah, well, I think like if we just keep going with the example I gave you, I think it's creating, you know, decomposing, excuse me, uh, creating slivers of the game and making it a game, so to speak, and letting them work it Um, and not, you know, going into it, forcing them and every already made the decisions for them. So with that two-on-one with a back checker scenario, let's let's gamify it. Let's let the kids play, be in that moment, be the puck carrier, be the player off the puck, be the back checker, be the defender, and see it from all angles. And let's give them plenty of reps to see if they can solve it and score goals. And maybe we have a, you know, black versus red game and whoever scores three goals first or breaks up three, wins and you're starting to make it into a game you're um focusing on a specific you know slice or sliver of the game so you know um if you want to describe it that way and you're letting them work it and and they're going to fail but failure um to a certain degree can be positive because it's going to give them direct feedback from the um activity you designed you know when you talk about good learning at least from what i've studied a you know 65 to 80% success rate is probably a good learning zone where you're still seeing some failure around 20% um, where it can, the players can get feedback. Um, But you're also having a lot of success, which is also motivating. It's going to make you want to keep doing it. Um, And then within that, you can start to constrain the, the scenario with different rules, you know, or incentivize certain things with rule changes. Um, But it doesn't have to be anything crazy. I think it can just start by simply putting them in that moment with some realistic reads and, you know, bodies, pressure, they're going to regulate their movements and decisions and they have to adapt in the moment. Um, And then you're always going to be able to see, okay, well, this player like just can't handle the puck well enough to be able to execute this. Well, let's take him out for a little bit. Let's work on that. Let's attack that technical component, but then let's throw him back in and let him keep attacking these things and starting to couple their reads with action and, and allow that those reads with the action to be very similar to what they're going to see in a moment in a game so that the decisions that they come up with, if they're not, if they're solving it, they're going to get a lot of good feedback from it that, okay, Hey, this might work in the game. This might be help me have success. And if they're not, they can start to think about it as well, or get some direction from a coach around how they can adjust. Um, 
Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And and one of the things I want to dive a little bit deeper in is that, what would you say? It was like a 65 to 80% zone where people should be in their success versus failure rate when it comes to right. the, the reads that you're putting them in and them having to execute on, on those reads. And, and I think that that's something that's really, really valuable, but I, I would take it even a step further that like, we should expect that out of them in games too. You know, like mm-hmm. not just in the practices, we have to right. let them express themselves and, and making those plays that they've been working on and working on and working on in the games. Right. And I feel like we, you know, sometimes give the kids a lot of rope in practice, but then when it comes to the game time, we, we tighten that rope a little bit and then they're right. maybe afraid to make those plays and make those mistakes and then they'll get back to practice the next week and they've lost all the gains <laughs> that right. they've made from all of the, the work that they've done. But I do like failure is necessary. It's necessary. It's kind of getting you outside your comfort zone and it's, it's getting you to think about things a little bit differently. And like, how much do you see that as an issue in how we coach our kids today? Like you've been in a lot of rinks, you've talked to a lot of parents, you've worked with kids and your company has worked with kids of, of all different age groups and, and abilities. Do you feel like that 60, well, I forget what the name of the zone you called it was, but do you feel like that's an accurate assessment of what coaches today are giving to our youth? Or do you think that that is something that needs to change? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, I, I do think it's an area we can improve as a coaching community as far as understanding that um, in practice and in games that we need to give the player, especially a young player <laughs> and, and even NH, you know, at the highest level, give them an opportunity to feel like they're in a place where they can try things and they can express their uniqueness on the ice and understanding, especially the process of learning motor skills and adaptations and being able to, to continue to evolve your game. There is there failure is a part of that. So, um, and usually like when we were growing up, you, you, do that, that failure would happen and pick up three V three, four V four in the, in the driveway. Or for me at our church parking lot in Shortsville, New York, Yeah. Or me and my buddies would play pickup roller hockey for hours every single day in the summer. That's where the failure happened, but no one saw that, right? That was just, we were in an environment where. And you weren't even being coached. We weren't. Like you were coached. learning it just from failing on your right. own. Yeah, exactly. So how do we so, get, how do we get back to that? Right? Like it, it's such a professionalized sport, not just sport, but just youth sports in general are so professionalized and so pressurized at such a young age. Like how do we go about fixing that? Cause I do feel like that that is a huge issue that we're not going to be developing people that can make plays and, (laughs) uh, and be creative on the ice because it is so structured and, you know, they're not playing in unstructured environments. Like how do we go about, um, I don't want to say fixing that problem, but how do we make it better? Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, culturally we, you know, as a youth hockey, um, culture right now, like a lot of it is driven by money and there's, and that's just a part of it. And that's something that's always going to be there. So I think what we need to do is, you know, invest in our coaches and, and coaching development and a lot of the stuff that you're doing, Toph, like trying to make coaches understand and value of, 
you know, a young person is not a professional. A young person needs to go through a process of learning and acquiring um, skill sets. And to do that, you know, and it's not just on the ice either, it's off the ice, probably even more so. Um, we need to allow that, we need to create an environment as a youth club, youth organizations, teams that are going to foster that. And, but a lot of us, and I'll, I'm the same way, when I started coaching, I didn't understand any of this stuff. So it's, I think coaching development is going to be a big part of, if we want to have more dynamic players, like we were talking about earlier, we need to understand how are dynamic players created and what, what did, what were they doing as youngsters? Um, and there's always going to be stories of players that came up through our current system, but could the, t- we, the tiger Woods story, right? <laughs> right. Right. And there's always going to be players I think can, tra- you know, just are, you know, able to move through the system without being, um, you know, brought down by it, but, could we be developing more players? I think we can. And I, but I think it starts with all of us sharing knowledge, trying to uh, develop coaches that can create these environments for players and bring some of what maybe you and I had, or people even younger, older than us, that, that street meant, you know, playground three V three pickup mentality, bringing that to the rink a little bit more um, or, you know, creating that sort of environment for a player. And again, we still need structure. We need them to understand the game and, um, and give them declarative knowledge around some of these things. Cause yeah, we have things, we have that knowledge to offer, but we also need to give them space to work at these things and work through these things without being, you know, being screamed at or <laughs> sat. <laughs> you know, like, um, if that had happened to me, I, I'm lucky. I had very good coaches growing up in Rochester, New York, um, Mark Dunn, Dave Montgomery, um, Darren Bauer, ton of great guys. Um, and they're hard on us, but they also last make plays. And, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know if I would have been able to play division one, if it wasn't for, you know, the environment I had at home and being, able, you know, family and playing you know, playing pickup with Torn Del Forte, who we're from a really small town and we both wanted to play division one, which is kind of like crazy because no one there played hockey really. Um, and then the coaches I had who, you know, did foster our ability, like be creative and try to do things out there. Well, one of the things that you've talked about extensively that I think is, is incredible and, and has to do with what we're talking about right now, just in terms of like the imagination versus like the structure and stuff is knowledge of the game versus knowledge in the game. And that's something, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about it and it's put a lot of different things into perspective for me of about player development and what players are going through and how they're processing the game as they're playing. Could you talk a little bit about that and how it relates to what we're talking about with problem solving and being able to make plays on the ice, because I think it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So I think, you know, knowledge of the game would be, you know, you and I looking at video together, pointing out things, looking at it from above, talking about tactics, techniques, all that great stuff that we love talking about knowledge in the game is, you know, through your eyes, being able to make, decisions quickly in game moments and that knowledge is different that's more bottom up you can you can have declarative knowledge coming in to help support 
how you might make decisions in a game. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, but a lot of our instincts and our habits and things we do are just, they, they um, emerge from playing a lot and, and our bodies and what we have available to us as resources, capacities to be able to make plays. And we start to adapt our games to our strengths and how we would solve problems. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just seeing it through a player's eyes in that moment. What are they seeing or feeling or hearing to perceptually sensory? Um, what are they, how are they making that decision? And that's knowledge in the game, being able to make those decisions under very um, small time constraints is um, to me, knowledge in the game. And we need to, to, to build knowledge in the game. You got to be in it and you got to be able to, to work it and, and get plenty of reps in various scenarios with lots of different things coming your way. And again, uh, trying to figure out that failure rate, not being so high. So we get discouraged and find that good challenge point, but putting people in these moments so they can work it and, and, and learn in it. And then, you know, when we have chalk talk after practice or video after practice, now we're building some knowledge of to help support some of those things that you're seeing in the game. Yeah, it's almost like we teach the of the game a little bit too much. You know, I think I think we can err on that with the uh, introduction of video. Video is really, really good in, in a lot of different capacities and can teach us a lot of the stuff. Um, but I feel like sometimes we do too much of that knowledge of the game as we're talking to players about the game rather than like, you know, we're, we're almost like instructing instead of asking questions and say, Hey, what, what were you thinking in this play? What were you thinking in this play and getting into their heads on what they're thinking in the game? I feel like a lot of times coaches, and I've been guilty of this too. Um, we're, we're just talking, Hey, in this situation, you need to go here and blah, 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 blah. And, and it just, yeah, the more we can have, and I'm sure you've had a lot of those different kinds of conversations with the players that you've coached. How, yeah. how have those conversations been when you're kind of getting inside the head of like a Patrick Kane or a JT Confer or some of these high, high, high thinking level players in, in the game? Like what, what have they taught you from having the opportunity to, to have those different kinds of conversations with them? They've taught me a ton. I ask them questions all the time. They have, <laughs> um, certainly an abundance of knowledge of, but also a lot of knowledge in, and some of that knowledge in is, you know, subconscious yeah. because they don't have to think about it to do it. So sometimes, you know, they may not be able to articulate it, but a lot of the time they can. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a true pleasure. And I've learned so much from all, all the, you know, high level players I've worked with and, and younger players across the board, I ask questions and they probably think I'm crazy sometimes because I ask a lot of questions. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, that's one of the fun things for me, not to get out off the question, but off tangent, but going through that process when a new player starts to work with myself or Jeremy Moore or Chris Wickersham, um, what, like how we interact with the players, I think are just different. You know, we're not, we're not drill sergeants telling you what to do at every moment. We're asking you what you're seeing. We're asking you questions, trying to stimulate you to think about what's going on and how you can solve it. We're got helping guide and support um, and helping facilitate um, environments and, and um, experiences for you. 
And then you're going to be able to provide us a lot of insight into maybe what you're not seeing. And maybe we can guide your attention in a different direction, whether it be how that your skate blade is feeling the ice or, you know, where you're looking before you make a, a play coming from behind the net. You know, all those things are going to be very insightful to us to help the player. Love that. Love that. And what you just said right there, and, and we've obviously had a lot of different conversations about this too, <laughs> the, the, what you're seeing before you go around the net. Like yeah. I, I tell you, like I've probably been on the ice with more youth hockey players this summer than any other summer I've ever had. And I feel like that is the one big, huge, mega elephant sized deficiency that youth players have coming up is not, playing with their head up and scanning and looking around and things. And, and, and then everybody blasts the Instagram culture of, of, mm. you know, like, you know, jumping over tires and doing that type of stuff and dangles and, and just kind of watching highlights and how that stuff is great. And don't get me wrong. Like there's a time and a place for that stuff. And a lot of people do some really good stuff on Instagram that get people really excited about the game and get them passionate about it, but might not be, be the best for making better hockey players. But like, yeah. How important is that aspect of everything that we're talking about right now? I feel like I, it was probably a million times in every single drill that we were doing this summer was like, eyes up, eyes up, look around, eyes up, look around. Like how much of that do you talk about with your pros and Mm -hmm. how much of that do you talk about with your youth players and what are just your overall thoughts on how important that is and how big of a deficiency? Like, I think it's a really big deficiency. How big a deficiency do you think that is with the players that you're coming up with? Yeah, no, I, at the younger levels and then, you know, I think at the older levels, the players that, you know, have made it to that level definitely have some capacity with scanning frequency and and be able to fixate on things properly. But maybe there are certain situations where they're, they're not optimizing that. And then we'll, we'll start to give them some, whether it's through the activity design or direct feedback, like, Hey, like start to fixate here more so you can pick this up and actually read and then feel out what you're going to do next versus already having something pre-canned ready to go. Um, and that comes with like also not being anxious in certain moments and being able to like really take in the moment and be present and feel out, read, see. Uh, and then at the younger levels, I, I think sometimes we uh, do a disservice to the young players because, you know, we're putting, we're expecting them to play five on five on a full sheet where they're never going to really interact with a battle or have to look up as much as, you know, maybe we, we would like them to. So starting to really dig into some small area work at a young age, and it doesn't have to be with your club. It can even be just, at, or it could be, it doesn't have to be in a game necessarily, but even in practice starting to, to uh, introduce the players to the, the inevitable um, uh, thing that may happen if they do not keep their head up, they will run into something. <laughs> so congestion, I learned this from Ken Martell. He, he's really, you know, given me a lot of insight into this stuff, you know, like, especially at the younger age where you can't really tell a six-year-old, keep, you know, look around, you know, <laughs> like you need to like create it in the moment that they're, or the game they're playing. And they're going to learn bottom up from 
bumping into people. They're going to learn bottom up from, you know, if they don't look, someone's going to be yelling for the puck and then they're going to be upset and they're going to feel bad about it. They wanted to make the play. You know, you're, you're going to get feedback, immediate good feedback with some congestion in a safe way, of course. Yeah. Um, but to, to, to me, like building those habits has more to do about creating environments where it can, it is forced without them having to be told. Um, of course, telling them will help and it will reinforce. But again, that's more of a bottom up learning in the game sort of skill set. And a lot of guys that do it really well, they don't realize they do it really well. They just do it because they've had to survive. The small guys, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, too. yeah. Had to do it to survive. And then their scanning frequencies higher. Johnny Hockey, you know, Pat Kaner, they had to do it to survive. And now it's a huge asset because they anticipate better. They um, protect themselves better. They can read opponents better, scenarios better. So you see that, um, you know, as a, a big part of it. But I think we can manufacture it for our young players in a safe way by making a little bit, making them have to move around people and become really um, aware and congestion. And, and even, in, you know, doing little drills where you're doing a figure eight or a pivot, have a lot of players around them. So they, they're forced to look around. If they don't, they're going to fall. And then they're going to be like, oh, well, I guess I got to look. You know, it's just little stuff like that. And again, Ken Martel was great and sharing a lot of knowledge with me on that. That's awesome. So I have two things of what you're saying right now, because one is I, I go back and I look at uh, myself as a coach, maybe 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago. And there was a lot of like video and telling that I feel like there was a lot of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have to understand as a coach that if you want your kids to get better, then you have to put them in those situations in practice so they can feel right. through and, and, and actually act on the things that you're talking to them about. You can't right. just be like, Hey, look at this on video. Um, you need to do this better. And a big one that I would, would think of is like, you know, players, even at the college level, like they play with their stick off the ice. And when they want to go hit people, like we were a physical hockey team with Cornell, mm. the stick always comes up and we'd be like, we stick down, you know, like yeah, stick yeah. pressure. And it just, and it would never, but like, we didn't, when I look back and reflect, like we didn't, and I didn't as a coach, like put them in like design enough drills where they were going to have to do that every day. Like if I thought that that was that important, yeah. then I should have been doing, whether it was 4D split, whether it was, you know, drill, uh, drill designs with, with the whole team where they would have to angle and stick rather mm -hmm. than just playing the game and then teaching them by telling them what to do. So just a right. different, just a different example. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up too, and I actually tweeted this out last night because I was talking to a buddy of mine. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with his name is Timmy Marks, uh, but he played at Clarkson. Uh, he's a New York, New York guy, um, coached in the AHL for a little bit in Binghamton. And uh, he's got a kid uh, that's about 10 years old now. So we were just kind of catching up on things. <laughs> and he, it was funny because he was like, Tolf, you know what? Cause he's in Boston now and there's so many kids in Boston that are like ridiculously skilled, like so good in terms of the skill side of it. And he's like, Tof, to be honest with you, the reason like these kids being so skilled at this age is going to hurt them badly when they mm. are older because they can get away with the toe drag and they can, like, they can all do the Michigan now and they can all do the toe drag mm. and they can all do this and that. And that's what they're working on. And that's what they're being praised for. But he's like, dude, like none of these kids know how to play hockey. Yeah. 
They're, mm. they're so ridiculously skilled, but none of them are going to make it at the next level because they don't understand how to play the actual game. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I tweeted out yesterday, got a pretty good reaction from a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but how would you kind of navigate that process with teaching skill versus teaching, you know, the, the game of hockey? And do you see that uh, again in some of the kids as you're working with some of the younger kids and some of your staff as well? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think just first clarifying, like some of the, some of the uh, defining a, a few things here. So to me, what your friend was talking about was they're technically like technical. Yes. They're technically very, technical. very skilled. Yes. And, and then I would say that skill, that's this is the way I define it, at least just so we're on the same page. Yeah. Skill is applying a technique or tactic in the right moment to solve a game problem. So I see a lot of players that are very technical, but don't understand how to apply that technique in a game moment. So, and in some cases we have players that are very technical in, you know, skating, they're great skaters, explosive. So now they're, their their whole view of the game is much different than the player who doesn't maybe skate well yet, and has to survive on more uh, anticipation and reads. And, and I think as a, and I wish I, I had done a better job with this with a few years ago of, you know, identifying some of those things and being able to kind of pull levers, so to speak on for the player that's really fast. I want him to keep improving that, but I also need to strip that away sometimes and force him to stimulate other parts of his game to solve problems in the game. And the same for the big kid who can just drive and just run people over. I need to be able to take that away and constrain that so that other parts of his game are um, forced to solve different problems. So as a coach, yes, I can see what your, your friend's saying. And, you know, from a technical perspective, if you're solving everything with toe drags, just making everything a one-on-one, 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 or what I'm not sure the context that he described, but I see a lot of that too. And again, I think that's on the coach to create scenarios and games where there's an invitation to create two-on-one hockey. There's an invitation to pass more. You know, I do a fun game where um, the amount of passes you complete before you score adds up to the goal. And if you go above eight, so like once you get to, you know, you have six and you have to get to eight, if you go above eight, you go back down to whatever it is um, you started at. Um, so you're starting to invite passing. You're starting to invite players who look to pass versus just making a one-on-one. And then if they have seven goals already, well, that one-on-one player is going to have the opportunity to, you know, dance through everyone and score. Um, but you're starting to constrain through rule manipulation what the players might interact with. Dude, that's unreal. I'm going to use that amount of passes leads to the amount of goals <laughs> like all the time now. That's really cool. That's one thing I, I've been trying to do a lot of, especially to the start of practices because you want to get the goalies some time with the goalie coach. I've been doing a lot of puck protection, yeah. um, but progressing it from one-on-one where they're learning, you know, how to read where the pressure is coming from and being able to kind of like technically get your hands out and 
you know, that kind of thing, but then you go into right. two on two and even three on three. And I think there's so much value in keep away. There's so much yeah. value in like two on two or three on three keep away where you're forced to, um, especially, I think it's best for the people without the puck. You're forced to get the spots to be in support. And then you're making yeah. those passes. And, and I like to put even a constraint in you're only allowed to hold on to the puck for two seconds now. So mm-hmm. again, it, it forces the player without the puck to have to move to get the spots. And it's some of that, it, um, you know, some of that kind of unstructured learning, but it happens in, in, in the game as well. And like, I don't know. I, I feel like I did a lot of that with my Russian coach all like we did keep away and puck protection yeah. and all that. And this was 20 years ago, but we did it like literally every single practice. Like how much value do you think there is to certain types of games like that, where you have to hold on to the puck? Because I mean, for the past, probably five to eight years, I would say the biggest buzzword in hockey is we're a puck possession team. Everybody says I'm a puck possession team. And it's always funny when I hear that because I'm just like, well, duh, like you want to have them puck more than the other team, you know? Um, But like, how much is that kind of like keep away puck protection? How much does that translate into the actual game of hockey that these guys are going to be playing and how much value do you see in, in practicing that stuff a lot? No, I think it's, I think it's great. And I think, you know, I would bucket that if it's like a one-on-one, for instance, that, that, and no uh, net that you're trying to get towards or right. space that you're gap that you're trying to attack. That's technical work. You're the player with the puck is working on reading the opponent and their stick pressure and their body and placing the puck in different spots to protect it or attacking the opponent's stick to take it away and be able to, um, build more time and space. So you're giving them feel knowledge in the game by interacting with very representative um, pressure. Um, and let's just say that your, your team, you know, you have squirts or peewees and they don't handle the puck quite well enough yet. Okay. We'll turn the defender stick over, give the puck carry an advantage to still be reading the stick and have, you know, realistic reads and feel just with the stick turned over. And I think you can do a lot with tag games for like learning skating and edging. You know, um, I think it's a very, it, it doesn't look sexy, but it's, it's very effective because you're building good. You're making them look around. You're making them have to adjust and, and make decisions emergently. Um, it's representative. You're reading bodies. Um, again, you don't do that all the time, but it's a good way to start to, build a foundation with puck protection, build a foundation with some skating, um, uh, change your direction, inside edge, outside edge. There's a lot of different ways you can kind of manipulate it. So it's fun and, you know, and the players get a lot out of it. I feel like one of the biggest games that we tried to implement a lot during the summer, specifically with the younger kids, but definitely with even the older kids too, was just like King of the castle where everybody has a puck Mm -hmm. in, in his own. And you got to stick handle around, stick handle around. You got to try to knock the puck off of other people's stick. Like, 
that's one of those drills that you're talking about. I feel like where it's, it's working on so many of the things that we've been talking about in this conversation, eyes up and scanning where, where's everybody at you're working on the technical of stick handling while keeping your head up. Um, you got to have different reads who's coming near you. That's going to try and poke the puck off. Who do you want to poke the puck off of it? And uh, we actually did that the other day with my guys, my U 16 team, we did it in the neutral zone where everybody had two pucks. So everybody was stick handling two pucks around the neutral zone and they were doing the same thing. We were playing that game and it was, it was a lot of fun, but there's just like, I love those kinds of drills where God, like it just seems so simple right? Like it just seems so simple, but you can get so much value out of it because there is a lot of overcomplicating in coaching in in today's day and age. Again, like with the advent of video and coaching conferences and symposiums, like it's almost like there's a a law of diminishing returns where you can get so much out of it Mm -hmm. um, and you can learn so much. But if you can't translate that into actually making your players, which is like taking all that information that you just learned and then simplify it. I don't want to say simplify it, but, but I am saying simplifying it, but like being able to communicate it in a way where the kids are going to get better and design drills where they're getting something out of it rather than them just always having to think, 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 think of what you're talking about. You know, I just feel like sometimes simple is better. A hundred percent. And we're in, the coaches are in the same, like coaches are trying to improve are in the same position as the players. Yeah. We're trying to take uh top down knowledge, declarative knowledge and be able to utilize that to create an activity, a drill, a small area game for the players to interact with, with those constraints and those situations. So we're in the same position as them. We just have a different, you know, we're, we're, we're very much trying to learn and trying to be able to transfer our learning into an on ice practice. And I think a lot of like something I'm always really trying to improve, right. Especially now is when I've designed something, where do I need to tweak it in the moment? Like recognizing a player's failing at a certain rate, or they're, they're not interacting with the information I really want them to interact with. Okay. What do I need to do to adjust this? on the fly in the moment, just the same as the players reading, when do I need to protect the puck more? Cause that poke check's coming. So yeah. it's, we're in the same boat. It's an art too. Different. Like that's, that's something you got to learn based on just like, it, I feel like that's almost a feel thing. It is by 100%. just doing it all the time and not being yeah. afraid to switch things up and being so rigid in, in what you're doing, right. because yeah, I feel like the best coaches, they have a feel for practice And sometimes what you drew up isn't working based upon whatever it is, the energy levels of the players or just the focus, whatever, you know, reading your team. Um, So yeah, that's, that's a field-based thing. And that's gotta be something even for you working with the pros and some of the best players in the world. Like how much do you typically change it up in a practice sometimes? Maybe, maybe even after feedback from the, the guys that you're working with or things that you're seeing, does a practice plan, ever really go as perfect as you try it no (laughs) no it doesn't does not so i'm constantly having to adapt because i understand you know i'm understanding okay you know i'm feeling their energy whether positive or negative i'm feeling you know what are are they getting enough out of this is this challenging enough that's going to you know invoke adaptation and and learning if it's not okay i need to turn the dial on something 
So that's my field. That's my knowledge in that I'm trying to get better at just the same as the player is when they're working through an activity, a small area game that we designed or technical work. It's the same thing. It's just, you know, <laughs> I get a little bit more time to make the decision than they do. <laughs> yeah. Theirs is in split second increments. Right. <laughs> uh, I love it, man. All right. Well, before I let you go, I got one more thing because you've put uh, a bunch of stuff out on social media over the past couple of weeks that I think has so much value to the youth hockey community. Um, and, and so I encourage everybody to go, uh, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, go follow prodigy hockey and check out what Kaner's got. Uh, you know, put out there in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but one of the things, and we ta- actually talked a lot about on this podcast, one of them, which was how to create better decision makers in, in hockey. And I feel like we dove a lot into that. But the other one that I wanted to bring up before we let you go is you wrote about three reasons that your players may not be developing from competitive games. And you talked yeah. about like league and tournaments and playing and, and uh, you know, being in the thick of a, being a U16 coach, like, <laughs> I've seen from making a schedule how difficult it can be to scale it back so much because yeah. there's showcases you got to go to. You're a part of a league and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, like then you're thinking about like states and if you go all the way to nationals and, and it's just like it gets to be a lot. But I, I'm totally with you in that like okay, go ahead. I'm just I'm I'm not gonna give my opinion. I would love to hear what yours is and 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 uh and talk about it after that because I think the way that you put it down, I think it would just it could register a lot more with the youth hockey community. Yeah, so I think the the three things were your like socio cultural situation. So that would like include your club. It would include like the culture where the small culture we're a part of within a club um, and, and in like, you know, youth hockey in Illinois, I guess, and in you know the Midwest. So the type of influences the club has and their principles, beliefs, the coach, parents, <clears throat> all of these factors um, will, and, and influences will start to shape what a player may or may not feel comfortable doing. And, and some players are just divergent and they're just doesn't, you know, it doesn't even register what the coach or the club thinks they're going to do their thing. And they're, but a lot of players are, are, you know, very tuned into, okay, we got to, and if it's like, and I think what I start to talk about in the article was if winning is always like winning the game is always the most important and focused thing which at some levels, I think it, you know, it should be, but if it's always at the younger levels, that's the focus. You're going to have players that play the game to win and aren't playing the game to try to go outside their comfort zones and make more plays. They're going to do what they feel comfortable with. They're going to stay inside their box versus trying to evolve and, and express their, themselves in, in the game. And if we want dynamic players, we need a, we need a club, coach and parental uh you know sphere to be hey like we we want you guys to win of course you need to be as competitive as possible but feel comfortable to try to to make plays and build your confidence and when you have someone a coach or a parent who's given you that green light as a kid you're going to feel like hey you know what i am going to try this and 
And there's also influences from teammates too. So having building a culture within a club that, you know, allows for, and it's hard, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but these are things that I think if even in, in the car ride home or into the game as a parent, my dad was great. My mom was great. You know, they're always just cheering me on and saying, Hey, go do your thing, have fun with it. Um, and that's not always the recipe for everybody, but for me, it was, I always felt like, you know, I can go out and do my thing and I loved it. I never felt pressure besides pressure I put on myself because it was my thing. And I think that's a big part of it too, giving the, the young people autonomy to, this is their thing. Let them push it and let them give them, you know, help them along and encourage them. But when it comes to the, it's game day, let them go play, let them enjoy it. Let them try things, let them fail. And just because you didn't win the tournament on the weekend doesn't mean you're not going to win long-term as far as their development as a young person and as a hockey player. Um, some of the other things I talked about, I believe was five on five hockey, as far as like, you know, five on five hockey is the highest complexity of the game. So you can learn a lot from it, but there's certain situations that are only going to happen a few times in a game. So those moments where, and, that, and those situations might influence the game a lot for an individual player. So that player, because they only have so many shots at that moment, we need to remove that moment from the game and work on it in practice so that there's more higher frequency of that event. And the player can start to interact with that moment more and learn how to solve it. Um, so the five on five game, although it's, you know, it's, outstanding and it's the highest level of complexity you can learn a lot sometimes you're not going to get as much out of it because certain things only happen so much and or if you're a player that isn't you know middle of the pack to higher in the pack at a young age you might not touch the puck a lot and that's going to either force you to start to move to get open and and be better off the puck which could be a positive thing or if you're not working on that or you're not being influenced to do that we need to find a way to get you the puck more so you can try to get more confidence to go get it and, and make plays. And again, that would circle back to when we get back to practice, giving that player, pumping them up and letting them make plays and encouraging them to, uh, so when the weekend comes, they're trying to make plays. And I think the last thing that I put down was just, which we kind of, I mean, we touched on all these things. Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about, you know, the player that's really technically advanced or very, you know, very physically advanced. We can't neglect those players. We need to, we need to help stimulate the other areas to, to round out their games and the five on five, you know, competitive games sometimes um, because we just want to win. And because we just, we let you know, the big, fast, strong kids skate in a straight line, go down and right. score. So we yeah. are up one, nothing, which never happens when you hit the Bantam to midget level. And especially right. when you get older and now they don't know how to do anything except for going a straight line. <laughs> yeah. So how can that we, thing. yeah, those, and yeah. And again, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I, you know, I, love studying this and I love engaging in the, with this stuff. And I'm just in pursuit of trying to, you know, learn more, but those are some things I've noticed over the years and just things for people to keep in mind. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions that people might have around those things, but it's not a perfect scenario anywhere. And, 
but just being mindful of those things, I think will help as a parent or coach or club director and being like, Hey, maybe I need to, you know, maybe we can make some adjustments here or there to, to better facilitate learning and development for, for our players. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Well, before we let you go, the last question I have for you, you know, I've always admired your work because I feel like you're so forward thinking about the game. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm always feeling, I, f- I always feel like I'm, I'm learning something new when I get the chance to talk to you, you know, so for, for the listeners, you study the game a lot. Um, maybe what's one thing that you're kind of seeing in the game that you think might be changing that could help us coaches understand the game and better be able to, you know, help our players, whether it's a tactic, whether it's a coaching methodology, you know, cause you do a lot of research, not just on the game of hockey, but on, you know, coaching and teaching and things like that. You know, what's something maybe that you've learned something that's changing about the game that you think would better help us to, to be able to make our players better. I think just in you know, I think we have an abundance of knowledge around tactic, tactics, techniques. And I think where, like you said, I've spent a lot of time on learning how players learn motor skills and just learn in general. Um, and I'm constantly reading about that. And I love it. It's really, I, I enjoy it and I kind of nerd out on it. So maybe it's not for everybody, but I would say try to spend some time understanding how people learn and how people learn motor skills and how you can translate that into, you know, creating a a good experience for your players on the ice for practice and understanding how your intentions and actions and things you do really influence the players around you and, and how they're behaving. And we're all kind of like interacting within this, you know, um, circle of influence um, and I, I think the, you know, that would probably be the number one thing. And then, um, just make it fun for the players and, and enjoyable. And, you know, we're really lucky to be able to work with young people or, or college pros, who are whatever the age is. And, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it goes by quick. So enjoy coaching your teams and, and just try to make it as enjoyable as possible for, for those players. What an unbelievable message to end on <laughs> of all the fun stuff that we were able to talk about. The, the fun is I think the most important thing, you know, like I say it on this podcast all the time of all the players I've played with and the, the players that I've coached that have gone on to have pretty successful, successful careers. I think the, the common denominator for 99% of them was the passion that they had for the game. And that's at the base of the pyramid that if you love it, you're going to want to do it more. And when you want to do it more, you're going to do it more. And when you do it more, you're going to build really good habits. And when you build really good habits, that's where you kind of get to be really good. (laughs) But, but it all starts with, uh, with wanting to do it. And you go back to talking about playing in the driveway and Mm -hmm. God, like that's just like, if there was one message that I feel like, we should be preaching to everybody is like how important those unstructured, like not on the schedule. I just feel like doing it types of things are for our development. I 
played NHL 93 on Sega Genesis <laughs> for hours on end. And then when I was done with that, I was going to play hockey in my basement with my dad. Yeah. And then I would go to practice. Like I would, I think about it. Like I played hockey so much more, not in an ice rink than I did in an ice rink. And I think that's a huge part of the reason why, I had some success in the game. And I think if you talk to a lot of old school people and you talk to a lot of people that have made it from like, they would say probably the same thing. There's always the odd people who, you know, have the the mom or the dad that are kind of crazy and overschedule you and they just kind of, <laughs> you know, survive the system and, and make it. But um, most of the people where that happens, they burn out at a very, very young age and then they just don't want to do it anymore. And then they live their life with regret and it just, it sucks. So yeah, like for, for the parents and the coaches out there, especially at the younger ages, like make sure passion and fun is at the forefront of every decision that you make when it comes to the kids. And, and I say that from an anecdotal perspective from experience, but like you've studied this stuff, right? Like this is something that you've dove into and do the experts in, um, in the fields that you're studying say that as well. Yeah. They talk a lot about autonomy. Sure. Talk a lot about autonomy and, and being in a environment where, um, you have a chance to play and, and whether that's structured or unstructured, you have opportunities to just play and, and you learn a lot bottom up from those, you know, when I say bottom up, I mean, from the environment, from what's around you versus just someone telling you everything you need to do. And that's where a lot of our instincts and our habits and things start to form. And as coaches, we can influence those too at, at, at the rink, um, and, and shit help shape those, but a lot of it's going to come just letting them go out and play and, and pick up, pick up hockey, soccer, whatever it is, basketball, and learn some of these tactics that kind of go across these sports. Um, and yeah, it's when it's their thing. And I'll say this, you know, Patrick Kane loves hockey. <laughs> he loves hockey. He yeah. loves hockey maybe more than I do, which is a lot. Whoa. Um, but and that's what it takes. You got to love what you're doing and be, it's got to be your thing. And you got to be all in on it. And you can't make that decision at nine. You know, you can love it, but let it grow and let the kids try things and let them try different sports. And then, you know, when they're ready to make decisions and maybe they're at a younger age already make decisions, not the same for everybody, but give them that autonomy to let it be their thing. And I think you'll see some, some fun things come from that. Yeah. That's a really cool way of putting it. Let, let, let it be their thing that they discover and you can put them in environments and you can kind of nudge them. But at the end of the day, they have to make that decision on, uh, on their own. And yeah, like Vex and I, we've been talking a lot about it lately. Like the, just the, the power um, of like going all in on something and like really, really, really loving something to, to do, whether that's hockey, whether that's being a painter, whether that's being a programmer, whatever, like, it's just, it's so good for the soul, but I think people need to understand, like you said, that that doesn't happen at nine years old. It yeah. probably doesn't happen at, at 15 years old. It might for some, yeah. um, but for, for probably a majority of people, it, it doesn't. And so, yeah, just that. And we've had numerous conversations about like multiple sports and, yeah. and, and all of that kind of stuff and how important that can be. But yeah, I mean, just like the power 
uh, of just going all in on something. And I love the way that you put it, letting it be your thing. Like that's really cool. So, um, all right, man. Well, we appreciate your time as always. Uh, thank you so much. I think so many people are going to get so much out of this one and, uh, best of luck with, as we round out the summer here and, uh, and the season starts, you get pretty excited. Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah. It's been a great summer and this was a fun chat. Thanks for having me on. And, um, yeah, anything you need, let's, let's do it again soon. Dude, you're like, you're getting a Chicago accent now. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> you know what? I really think I, I, I don't think you're wrong there. Because <laughs> I've been catching myself. My Rochester accent's going and <laughs> now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shy town guy now. So there you go. Almost a decade. So. Oh man. Yeah. There you go. I just moved back. What was it? Three months ago now. And I already feel like my, my ass coming a little bit, uh, a little <laughs> bit more just from being around here. So, um, all right, man. Well, thanks. Have a great cool. night. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah.